Of Speaker Circle here on Brockham Radio. My name is Josh Matica. I am Deputy Manager at Brockham Nation. Joining me today on this episode, he is a new writer, he's an analyst, he's an editor. He's kind of a jack of all trades for us over at the site. Please welcome Sammy Stava. Sammy, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, Josh. How are you? I'm doing pretty good myself. Cannot complain. We are a few days into preseason camp. It feels like the world is like back on its axis. Like Mizzou football is back. I mean, it's a good time of year. Like I'm, I'm a huge baseball fan. Don't get me wrong. And I loved, loved the Blues run to the Stanley Cup. But there's something about like fall, like when football comes back, specifically college football and baseball is kind of rounding into form, and basketball is almost back. That just like you know the sports wheel, the sports world feels like it's right again. You know. Yeah. Especially since uh, the Cardinals didn't do anything at the trade deadline. And now we're ready for the Mizzou football start up. Yeah, what better way to satiate our, our disappointments as Cardinal fans than to dive headfirst into another season of Mizzou sports, right? Yep, that is what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, so Sammy, the obviously, and, and you know this, the point of Speaker Circle is to kind of introduce the, the Rockham Nation community readers and listeners to new faces at Rockham and, and new faces on the Mizzou beat. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about how you became a Mizzou fan, uh, what some of your experiences were like, like what are some of your most memorable moments as a Mizzou fan growing up? So actually, uh, I didn't grow up as a Mizzou fan. Uh, mm-hmm. My parents actually went to the University of Nebraska. So, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on here, but <laughs> I got to tell, so. tell the truth. So, uh, about I grew up as a Nebraska fan, and then about, I don't know, I lived in Missouri my whole life. So, around eight or nine, one of my friends invited me to a Mizzou game, and, uh, a Mizzou football game, and uh, which is perfect because we sat on a, around the Rock M uh, side of the stadium. So, uh, I can't remember who they played, but I think they played Colorado or something. They lost, of course, but uh, I enjoyed watching Brad Smith play. I I enjoyed the atmosphere, so I kind of turned into a Mizzou fan. I'm like, I'm, I live in Missouri, so I guess I should be a Mizzou fan. <laughs> and I wanted to be different from my family. So, uh, so yeah, that's how I kind of got uh, introduced to Mizzou football and Mizzou sports. Now, were your parents, like, Nebraska fans in the sense that, like, they they kind of, like, half-hearted rooted for them? Or were they, like, diehards? Oh, diehard, because that's my dad. My, at least my dad was a diehard because he lived in, he grew up in a small town in Rushville, Nebraska, and that's basically all there is in the state of Nebraska, Nebraska football. It's where he grew up with. So, I can't imagine they took that well then, right? <laughs> like, you... So... My older brother grew up as a Nebraska fan too, but now he he graduated uh, at the University of Wisconsin, and my younger brother grew up as a Nebraska fan, but he's now at Ohio State University, so it's a Big Ten family, but I'm repping the SEC here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet that's like, 
I mean, I feel like w- with a lot of Mizzou fans, you get this. You don't hear a lot of people who like became Mizzou fans just kind of like you know out of out of the blue. I feel like that's more of a professional sports thing. Like you cling on to a team when you're younger. But with college sports, it tends to be like a family thing. So when you talk to a lot of Mizzou fans, lots of fans of any sport, you're going to hear people like, oh, yeah, it's always been in the family. So it's really interesting that you kind of come to this from a different perspective. And you, then you didn't attend the University of Missouri, right? I did not. I went to uh, Southeast Missouri State. So what was that like? What was that like going to a school in – so it's always fascinating to me when I was at Mizzou – I would see people wearing their like the shirts and the sweaters of other universities, and I would get kind of mad because yeah, like, I don't know how you could do that. <laughs> I was like, what, you, like what are you doing? Like, why are you? Like, you're here. You need to be repping here. And, and you know what? I get I get it in a sense. But what was that like for you growing up in a school? And it might be different because SEMO is not to sound dismissive, but it's kind of like a little brother school to Missouri, especially in the sports department. So, what was that experience like? Uh. You know, being a Mizzou fan at SEMO, I, I, there's there's a lot of Mizzou fans that went to SEMO. So, I mean, I don't think there was any bad blood between the two schools. I think maybe Mizzou and Missouri State, maybe maybe that's a different story. But it was it was cool because I've I went to a lot of SEMO baseball games. That's when uh, Steve Beezer was the head coach there, and that's what I kind of got into college baseball. That's when I got mm-hmm. kind of got into college baseball at the time. Yeah, so that's it's probably pretty familiar terms now, right, for you, especially with college baseball. Now, you, you, it's kind of like it, it does feel it all feels coherent in a way with Steve Beezer coming to Mizzou. Yeah, it was a great. I I knew right away it was a great hire from Mizzou. I'm like, he took Simo to the NCAA tournament, so Mizzou Mizzou got a good one in Steve Beezer, but hopefully they can make the NCAA tournament here soon. Yeah, and I mean, he's done a pretty good job of, of getting some of these guys ready for the big leagues. I mean, we've obviously seen quite a few players drafted under his regime, but um, I've been really impressed by Trey Harris, specifically. Uh, just, like, watching him go up through the minors, like, it, it's been, like, pretty shocking. I didn't think he had much of a career in baseball, and look at him now. He's I think he's one of the Braves' like top 15 prospects or something. And especially Mizzou pitching, too. I mean, we got yeah, he's, Plass Meyer and Reggie McClain just got called up to the Mariners. Yeah, he's done a really fantastic job with a lot of those guys. But anyway, this is Mizzou football. We'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about Mizzou baseball at some point, which I'm sure we need more coverage of at Rock M. So it's good to have another baseball person on board. Uh, Sammy, tell us a little bit about, I don't know, what are some of your like formative memories? You talked about the game you went to. Uh, when you were younger, and you were kind of like, oh, well, my family's a Nebraska fan, I want to be different. What are some of your formative moments as a Mizzou fan? So, I wasn't born yet. About the when the fifth down happened, I was about one when Tyus Edney happened, so I'm glad uh, I haven't, I didn't have to relive those memories, but uh, so I, I think my first special memory was the 2007 one. Uh, 2007 win against uh, Kansas to go to the Big 12 championship game. That was definitely uh, special for, for me. Uh, of course, there's a lot of bad moments, too. You got to point out uh, Norfolk State and and uh, the Andrew Baggett missed field goal against South Carolina. So 
there's definitely uh, some interesting moments to be to be as a Mizzou fan. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like you definitely. It sounds like you kind of grew up in the formative years, the same ones that I did, right? Like the years that Gary Pinkle was kind of building a new foundation for the school and then would eventually take them to kind of greater heights than they'd ever seen. Obviously, the Barry Odom and the Drew Locke era has been has been kind of this next step that we're currently in. But like I've been talking to when I talked to Terry Dennis on Speaker Circle earlier, it was we we talked about how he was like he was there for those like those moments like the the, the uh, arrowhead armageddon at arrowhead and, and like the gary pinkle years and like for us that's kind of that's like how we've always known mizzou right like i remember one of my earliest memories of being a quote-unquote mizzou fan and i'm kind of like you i didn't grow up like a mizzou fan i don't know like I, my parents didn't have any connections to the university i just grew up in missouri so like you know i was a missouri fan that's like what i had to be um, but one of my earliest memories was being, I think it was in 2005, and I was at a Cardinal game, and I was really concerned about the, what was going on in the Mizzou football game for some reason. They were playing Texas Tech. I think they were trying to get to six wins so they could get a so they could get a bowl berth, and they won. And I remember like being that being really meaningful to me. But I was I was kind of confused even as a young kid because I was like I don't like love Mizzou, but it was important to me. And then I obviously I chose to go to Mizzou once I got to college. I mean high school. So um, that was that was a big deal. Like I became a diehard. And then you get obviously you get the Norfolk States and then kind of the down years of the basketball team. And in 2015 was just like I was there in 2015. So I remember all that very well. It's just like it, it's interesting to talk to older Mizzou fans who have that baseline of being like oh everything is miserable like the Norm Stewart basketball years they're fine but like we're ne- we never win anything football is awful because when we think about it now football like we always talk about Missouri well colleges are it's a basketball school it's a football school it feels more like in the past 20 years Missouri has been a football school because that's been where all the successes have been right yeah definitely recently with going to uh, back-to-back SEC championship games in 2013 and 2014. And I was I was there at uh, the 2013 SEC East clincher against Texas A&M, so that was definitely cool to be a part of. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, I, I think recently Mizzou has been known as a football school, but we'll see what happens with basketball, too, with Conto taking over. Yeah, hopefully he can get everything on the right ship too and then we don't have to decide we can be both right yeah, that's totally allowed yeah so let's talk a little bit about mizzou football um obviously we're a few days into camp everything is like everybody's hopeful like it feels like there's more hope around the program this year than i honestly than i don't want to hyperbolize but i feel like than i can ever remember as a mizzou fan like e- even that 2007 year it was like there was optimism but like uh, 2007 was just kind of unprecedented for Mizzou. Like, that had all... Yeah, like, I mean, not really had there ever been a point where it was like, oh, Mizzou's the best team in the country. Obviously, there were some years in the 60s where they were really good, and there and there's the kind of, the quote-unquote, like, should they have been in the national title contention thing? But 2007 was just kind of like a breakthrough year in the sense that when you talk to 
like we said, like older Mizzou fans that kind of set a new baseline for expectations, right? Number one team in the country for a week. Uh, you're, you're playing for the right to go to a national championship game. And since then, we've seen that happen again, right? It happens once in like the 50-year history of Mizzou. And then in 10 years, it happens twice. Mizzou wins the SEC East twice, the Big 12 North several times. And now we're kind of at a point where it's like, okay, we've been here before. We, we know what the next step is. We know what happens after eight and four seasons. We should get nine and three and 10 and two seasons. So, so, so what are your kind of just general expectations going into the year? So with the schedule that plays out and bringing in Kelly Bryant and returning a bunch of starters on the offensive and defensive end and Barry Odom starting to get familiar with his fourth year, I, I think you have, this team has to at least go nine and three. I mentioned that on the uh, editorial board uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, nine and three would definitely be a step in the right direction for the program because if they finish eight and four, the same record as last year, with a completely easier schedule this time around, I don't know if that shows a whole heck of a lot of improvement. So I think nine and three is my baseline expectation, but I think they could live up to more like maybe 10 and two area, something like that. Yeah. Nine and three, definitely when you like, and I know you've had a few pieces where you go directly through the schedule and you rank them by win, like how, like how much of a win, like you must win this is. And we've talked a lot about this on, on the editorial boards and stuff like that. But when you go through the schedule and you just rattle off the things that the games that should be wins, like obviously you can like really dig into the numbers and overthink it, but just like, What's your first instinct? It should be a win, right? You get Wyoming, win. West Virginia, win. SEMO, South Carolina, Troy, Ole Miss. You should start off 6-0. and Like, you get five of those games at home, right? And Wyoming on the road isn't going to be a picnic, but, like, come on. If you're really supposed to be – yeah, if you're if you're going to be a team that competes for the SEC East, you've got to win that game on the road. Not, not really until probably Kentucky in Week 8. Do you really have a game where it's like, okay, I, I feel like, and mostly just because Kentucky has had Mizzou's number, but there's a real chance, like, there's a real, like, if you want to say Mizzou should, like, exceed expectations this year, then they have to start 8-0, right, before you get into that Georgia-Florida stretch. Um, where... I think the biggest game is, uh, well, at least early on in the season, the biggest game has to be uh, South Carolina. you got to show that you got to be south carolina and get because you they showed that they were better than south carolina last year i i know they lost that game but i they showed that they were the better team and uh, just mistakes cost them so i think you have to start out by beating south carolina and west virginia early on and then that creates the momentum and hopefully that leads the way to at least eight no before georgia yeah i remember we i don't remember the exact name of the stat but i know bill uh, Connolly, when he, he was looking at the the stats for that game, pointed out how it's like ninety. Per, if if this game played out exactly how it did, ninety seven percent of the time Mizzou wins this game. It just feels like it feels like every year there's like, and and I'm sure every program could say something like this, but it feels like every year there's just kind of like that freak loss where you're just like, how did how did that happen? How did that get away from us? And there were two like that for Mizzou, obviously last year, right? There was South Carolina, there was Kentucky, and so this is the year where Mizzou has a really great opportunity to kind of exercise those demons on the way to a potentially really special season. Now, 
I wanted to talk to you a little bit too about how I think expectations are really high. Obviously, you just said they kind of have to go nine and three. And really, if we're going with that route, you can kind of lose a gimme game and still go nine and three, right? Like you can lose to South Carolina, you can lose to Kentucky, um, and, and obviously you still have an you still have a chance to beat Florida at home. Georgia on the road is going to be really tough, but so. What do you think about the expectation that Mizzou should be a contender in the SEC East? Because I think we talk about we talk about success in college football in a really interesting way. That where not like a successful season doesn't necessarily mean a championship. And I wrote about this the other day uh, in one of my columns where I was like, "Hey, sports are generally pretty miserable because almost every year the team you want to win is not going to win." But in college football, there's other opportunities for like consolation prizes that still feel like good years so do you think an sec east title is necessary to kind of that like special season or do you think mizzou could potentially not compete for the sec title and the cfp as a result and still have a really like memorable great year well let's hope that bull band gets overturned first but uh i yeah. i i don't think they have to win the sec east to be considered a a successful year if they finish in like I don't know I want to say top three behind because that's where they were picked in the preseason poll SEC preseason poll behind Georgia and Florida so if they finish in the top half of the SEC East top three maybe finish in second I'd call that an extremely successful year so uh, with Georgia being as talented as they are I don't know if they could um finish ahead of Georgia if they can wow or go ahead and do it but I think second place is second place in the SEC East would be a very attainable goal and would be considered a successful season yeah for sure and if you like you talked about if you get the bowl ban overturned at that point you're probably looking yeah you're probably looking at a New Year's six bowl right like you're you're probably not gonna if you're not competing for the sec you're probably not gonna get to the cfp like that's i mean unless it was a situation where they went like 11 and 1 and their only loss was to georgia and then maybe georgia got like pounded um but even even then that's a stretch right but like for me i'm looking at this and if you talk about the bull ban possibly being upheld then there's a whole other conversation but we won't get into that too much but if you if it does get overturned, then it's kind of like, well, man, if you can get to the New Year Six, that's that's a big deal. That's something that even Gary Pinkle and all of kind of like the greatness that he achieved didn't do, really do that much. Like he had the big years. Mizzou never really kind of got to the mountaintop, but because of this, the way that college football is structured now, Missouri has a really good opportunity to not quite reach those heights, but to still maybe have an even more impactful year. Because if you're playing on New Year's, who's see- recruits are seeing that, and they're seeing the trajectory of going 4-8 and eight in Barry Odom's first year to playing in January um, in, in his fourth year, right? That's really good for the program. Yeah, if they could get to that New Year's Six Bowl, I think that'd be the best case scenario of a season, realistic-wise. Mm-hmm. If they... I, I think that's where uh, they need to shoot their goal to be. I, I think they, they with the talent they have, they could definitely get a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, 
athletes are athletes and they're competitive and they're gonna they're gonna shoot for the top. Yeah, they're gonna lose some games. I mean, they're not supposed to, I think. But but I think if they could get to the New Year's Six Bowl, that'll be yeah. that'll be huge for the program. Yeah, for sure. And I think they're 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 obviously gonna set their sights on the highest possible goal. But like, I feel like. If Mizzou is ever going to get to a point, and this is kind of the conversation that we always come back to as Mizzou for, as Mizzou sports, like like media and like just conversationalists, is like Mizzou is not a blue blood in like any program, and if they are ever going to become that, it's going to take years of buildup. Now, this is the type of year where something like that could possibly happen, right? Like if you get to New Year's Six Bowl, then maybe all like kind of higher starred recruits and, and more talented players start thinking, oh, like maybe I could like transfer there and make something like that. And that's the kind of, you, you have to have that over a long period of time. You have to have lots of continuity. And that's obviously where Barry Odom comes in. So, so I want to talk about Barry Odom for a second. A lot of the conversations that we've had on uh, Rockham Radio, and like I said, I talked to Terry a little bit about this earlier. We talk about Barry Odom and the culture that he's built at Mizzou. Now, I remember when we did editorial board a few weeks ago about Barry Odom, you weren't as high on him because, I mean, when you look at a coach, you have to look at his on-field results. Now, does how does how does the culture that Barry Odom has built factor into the way that you view his uh, tenure so far? Well, I think... I, I think the culture he's built has been very impressive. I mean, when the bowl band got announced, uh, no no seniors no seniors transferred out of the program, which says a lot about him. And I think he's been a strong recruiter right now. The recruiting momentum in St. Louis has picked up, and that all has to do with him. So uh, he's definitely building a foundation here at Missouri. But... Yeah, but it's in his fourth. He's in his fourth year, so I mean, every coach is going to have to learn, learn stuff uh, and improve upon. And I, he's a young coach, but he's definitely improving. And I gave him, a, I, I gave him a grade about a, a B minus on, on my editorial board uh, his mm-hmm. ten, on his tenure so far. So I, it hasn't been perfect, but. Nobody's perfect except for Saban. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't think any Sabins or any new Sabins are coming around anytime soon. And I, I would imagine if they did, that Mizzou probably wouldn't be their landing spot. But yeah, obviously there there are always going to be things that that Odom can improve, and, and even hopefully we're talking about ten years from now. Barry Odom's still the coach, and we're talking about things that he can still improve on, right? Because, again, nobody's perfect but Saban. But there are obviously some things that are still fairly concerning about Barry Odom, right? Like, we look at some of the last, the late-game decision-making that he has, um, and obviously some of this can boil down to his recruiters as well, but the lack of a, a strong defense hasn't been, has really been surprising so far. I mean, we look at the first year that he came in as defensive coordinator under Pinkle. He had a really strong defense, and he's always been a re- really great defensive mind. But for some reason, the the coaching talent that he has been able to curate underneath him has been heavily skewed to the offense, which, I don't know, wh- like, in your opinion, kind of what's up with that? Yeah, I don't know. I just uh, uh, the Derek Dooley hire has been great so far. Only 
it's only been one season, but uh, the, the defensive coaches he's hired, I don't think there's been a lot of chemistry uh, with him and the coach and the other coaches. So I, I don't know what's going on, but I think I when, when you he's just he's a defensive guy, so he's got a he's got a lean. Um, you, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, but uh, yeah, I it's think almost he, like he's got to put faith in himself. I think he's getting there. I think he's getting more confident with with himself in the defense, and I think that's that's where he's trying to go. Yeah, I almost wonder if sometimes if Odom. It's hard to say because unless unless you're a head coach, you really don't know everything that goes into it. But you almost wonder if maybe Odom's strategy at when he became head coach is okay. I need to let go of like the small things, and I need to take a bigger. I need to take a, a bigger view of the program, right? And for offense, that's great because he's never been much of an offensive guy, so he is more willing to let everything go and to you know, like, hey, like, I heard great things about Derek Dooley. He fits into my bigger vision of the program because that's my role as the head coach is I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to enforce enforce the culture that I'm building here. Dooley seems like a great fit. He's got the qualifications. He's in, and that's why it works. Whereas with the defensive side, I wonder if he's maybe, like, if he's maybe either, and you could, honestly, you could make an argument both ways, right? Like, He's either too concerned about the details or maybe he's not concerned enough, right? Because that's his strength. So I think it's all about him learning kind of what it means to be a head coach. And obviously in his fourth year, he's probably got a fairly good idea of what that looks like. But I think that's something you're always going to sort through, right? I mean, we we talk about Saban being perfect, but if you look at him, his coaches are always cycling through. He's always got someone new and someone is always being successful there. So... You wonder if maybe, like, d- d- how much control does Saban have over the day-to-day operations? And-, and that's just something that Odom has to learn as he grows as a coach. Yeah, I think he just has to keep his coaching staff in place. And, I mean, uh, I, I think this, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the question about, I think the, the big question about, like, I think is Walters, right? Like, obviously, we, we saw we saw Hypel, um, we saw Hypel be really successful and move on. It seems like Derek Dooley is is obviously had a really good year in his first year. Is going to have a really loaded offense. Walters is kind of like the big question mark, right? Because he hasn't been able to. Yes, he's a young. He's just a young coach right now, and young and inexperienced coach right now. Yeah, and is he going to be able to kind of? enforce that vision that Odin brought up because obviously we've seen a lot of turnover on that side of the ball um so to talk about the offense a little bit before we to, we wrap up obviously the story of the year is and I wrote this too is like it's kind of unavoidable and it's a little crass to put it this way but like it's kind of the Kelly Bryan experience this year no way to get around it but I mean, I think to say it's just the Kelly Bryan experience is also selling everybody else kind of short. What and, and obviously, I think we're going to be looking at the offense as kind of the, the backbone of this team right now. What about the offense excites you going into the year, other than Bryant? Okay, well, yeah, Bryant has a ton of weapons around him. We talk about uh, Alberto, uh, maybe a first-round pick 
coming up in the NFL draft, maybe the best tight end in the country. And you got Larry Roundtree, who had an unbelievable uh, season last year. Uh, he's got a good connection with Jonathan Nance, that wide receiver, and Jonathan Johnson, too. Uh, there's plenty of talent around him with a great offensive line with plenty of experience. So I think that just all bodes well for him. Yeah, and, and it's it's going to be interesting to see, too, just because Brian is such a different... Um, he's such a different player than Locke, right? Like, obviously, last year, whenever things weren't going well, you always knew... I remember thinking so many times, like, okay, things aren't great, but you always know Locke can kind of open the game up with his arm. Like, if you just send Emmanuel Hall or Jonathan Johnson to the outside, they're going to be able to beat guys, and Locke will be able to connect with them for a long pass, and that way, you're kind of always in games, right? But it seems like they're going to take a more methodical approach because Kelly Bryant just probably doesn't have quite the arm as Drew Locke does, but he knows he has experience with offenses that move the ball really well and are good on third down. And it's just going to be a different look. And how are you expecting, how are you expecting fans to take that? Cause it's, it's cause it's not going to be probably as exciting as last year. It's not, I don't think it's not going to be as exciting, but I think it's just going to be a more, uh, more steady offense. Uh, when you need Kelly Bryant to go get a first down on maybe third and short, he'll go get it. He'll scramble. He'll he'll go get it. Maybe pass it to Alberto. Or I think it's just going to be a better offense in a way. Uh, with this team, I think this team is more fit for Kelly Bryant. So offense yeah for sure you almost look at the way that lot that lock operated last year he almost just kind of needed an offensive line uh a running back that can get respectable yardage and then a burner on the outside right because that's his game just oh he opened up the top of the offense and i think i just think it's kelly bryant's gonna just no offense to drew lock i i loved him here but i think it's i think he, kelly bryant's gonna manage a game better and yeah he's the, the the weapons around him are more suited to his talent. Yes, and with him being sixteen and two as a starter at Clemson, uh, he's got all the experience he needs to succeed uh, at his mm-hmm. in his final year. Yeah, for sure. All right, Sammy. Before we before we say goodbye, um, I kind of want to give you just some room to talk about like. Obviously, we brought you on to Rock M. You're part of this new team that we're really excited about. Tell everybody what you're going to be kind of doing at Rock M and, and what what you're excited about and what you think you can bring to the, the to the Mizzou beat that people aren't seeing. So I'm definitely excited to join. I've had a couple articles up already. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've ranked every game on a must-win scale from 1 to 10 back in, back in July. Uh I got uh, I had uh, SEC Media Days coverage uh, on a Kelly Bryant article because I was there with uh, KTRS in St. Louis, uh, the home of Mizzou in St. Louis. So uh, I'm I'm excited to join, and uh, I'm I'll, I'll be doing a little bit of everything, uh, a little bit of podcasting here and there, uh, adding some recruiting coverage, a lot of commitment posts when somebody else commits, uh, maybe some report card grades after every game on offense, defense, special teams overall. And I'm pretty much excited to get started. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it's as readers, y'all are gonna have a hard time getting away from Sammy. It's uh, the the sports term. The sports term is kind of glue guy, right? Like you you need the person that's just gonna fill like be be there whenever you need him. And we're really excited to have Sammy on in that capacity. So Sammy, before we sign off, uh, go ahead and plug yourself. Uh, where can people find you on social media and uh, and obviously outside of Rockham? So my Twitter account is uh, at Stava on STL. You could find me there. Uh, I and I also manage um, uh, KKRS uh, Big Sports Show on Twitter. Uh, you can find it there uh, at Big Sports Show. And uh, Ben Ben Fredrickson and Brennan Weesey, they will have a special Tuesday night edition uh, on a show called Mizzou in the Lou. Should have it will have Jim Sturk on and. Mizzou Athlete of the Week every Tuesday night. And then Friday night is the Mizzou Kickoff Countdown Show. So tune into that also. All right. Well, great. Sammy, thank you so much for your time. I'm looking forward to getting to work with you this season and getting this team together. We're really excited about the coverage we've got. Yeah, we've got plenty of exciting new writers joining us. So let's 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 get the season started. Yeah, for sure. I think we're all kind of anxiously waiting at this point. Thank you so much for listening to Speaker Circle on Rockin' Radio. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Google or, I mean, Spotify, I should say, on SoundCloud, wherever you listen to podcasts. Obviously, you can find us on Rockin' Nation. And stay tuned as we kind of head into the season. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you.